Okay. So the video stuff may not work today. I got two more videos to show you, and it could be our computer that we're going to replace so it can catch up with us. This is the original series that we started last week with an introduction, Hard Time Letters. Uh, we're looking at practical things that will help us through this crazy life we're living in this crazy world. And we introduced last week, so this week you can see we're in the very beginning of Ephesians. I would like to show you a map. We'll look at that up behind me right now. There you go. You can see, I probably should have brought my laser pointer, but you can see Rome on the map, and you might be able to find um, over in the area where it says Asia, you'll see Ephesus. Now that used to be part of Greece, and then it be, now it's part of Turkey. So that's the distance that the letter that Paul wrote while he was incarcerated, had, it had to travel all the way to Ephesus. Now remember, he is incarcerated, he's on house arrest. Now when he was in Ephesus the first time, he was on his second missionary journey, and then he was there in the, in the third missionary journey, he was there for over two years. So he was there training them and teaching them and enjoying the fellowship, and so they got kind of close. Now it's interesting, when you read your New Testament, you'll see something in 2 Corinthians and Galatians that are similar in Paul's letters. They are extremely personable. They, Paul talks about personal issues in 2 Corinthians and Galatians, so it's very informal. On the opposite spectrum of that in his letters would be Ephesians, which is extremely formal. These people he's very close to, but for whatever reason, he wrote, and it was around 61 A.D., that he wrote this first letter to the Ephesians in such a formal way. What I'd like to do, oh, and I'll tell you a little bit about Ephesus. It was a very much a cultural center of its time. There was a, Paul's experience in Ephesus was that he was run out of town because he was converting so many people to Christianity. It irritated a guy that was making a lot of money building statues and artifacts and all different kinds of likenesses to the god Artemis. And, and so this guy's losing money because people aren't buying his stuff anymore because they're converting to Christianity. So it was ticking him off and he got ran out of town. But Ephesus was a church that was very near and dear to Paul, and as you study church history, you probably learn it became a church that Peter was an elder in that church, John, Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is, this is amazing. And James had some affiliation with it as well. So this is a very special church. But it's one of the seven churches in Revelation that's also addressed. It happens to be one of the five that gets in trouble. It happens to be the first church that's addressed. This is a special church. And, and one of the things that he compliments the church on is that they, they didn't put up with the people that were claiming to be apostles but weren't. And at the very end of that piece, they don't put up with the first denomination, the Nicolaitans, dividing the church. We don't put up with that. Good for you, church in Ephesus. But this is what he says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. 
Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Notice the wording, and I checked to make sure this is a good rendition of the original language, and it is. I, I hold this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. So something happens between the time that Paul establishes the church and builds the church and encourages them, writes this letter to the church, they receive it, they find their encouragement, and then by the time Jesus in the angelic form has a revelation for John, something happened. What they've got now is good. Later, somehow, some way, they lost that passion that they had to love Jesus, to love Jesus so much that they're loving others. Jesus, they're allowing Jesus to love others through them. That's how much they love Jesus. But somehow, they lost it. Now, I'm going to see, we'll see if we can try this. I'm not sure if it's going to work because we have a computer that's not necessarily working. Have you ever heard of Mark Lowry? He's a funny comedian. Uh, he's from the South. That may be why I like him so much. He's got a thick Southern accent. I have a little clip that we might be able to play, and we might not. I'll try it. Okay. Not going to work. It's not JC's fault. It's the computer is having issues. So I'll try my best. I'm not a comedian, but I'll tell you what he... His, he tells us stories. He starts off by saying... Um, went to my first tornado. That's the way he says it, tornado. He says it's tornado. You ever been to one? He talks about how he's, have y'all heard this little clip? Good, then you don't know if I ruin it. So he talks about going to his first tornado, and he, he said that he, was, he lives on a, a houseboat. And he says a houseboat is just a, a, a trailer on floaties. So as he's in the houseboat, one night he heard a freight train coming across the lake. And he thought to himself, we don't have freight trains on this lake. Uh, what lakes do? But he hears a freight train. This is the sound of a tornado. And, he, and as he, his boat gets rocked back and forth and he goes down, he falls, he grabs a curtain, and he looks outside and the lightning flashes and he sees rain blowing sideways. And then he says his ADD kicked in and he thought to himself, that's pretty. <laughs> and... As, it, as, as it, the, the lightning flashed again, he looked outside. He got up and looked outside, and he saw the other boats upside down. He saw the other pier uh, tore up, and he gets on the radio, and he says, are you guys okay? And they say, you're okay. We're all upside down, but we're okay. It turns out they're used to it. He said that it's called Tornado Alley is the place that he lives. Uh, it's the nickname. He said nobody told him that when he rented it, but they're all used to it. And he said... When he, when he was assessing everything, he thought, I'm going to die. And he said it would have been a whole lot more fun, that whole experience would have been a whole lot more fun if he'd have known he was going to live through it. <laughs> I don't know about you, I've had lots of those experiences where that, that could have been crazy fun if I'd have known for sure on the other side of it, I would have lived through it. And right now, we are going through such weird times. And some of us are going through some hard times. 
And life would be a whole lot more fun if we know on the other side we're going to live through it. Christians, this is temporary. We've got eternity to look forward to. Whatever you're going through, this is temporary. And this is what Peter is trying to... I'm not sorry, we did Peter. It's what Peter tried to do in our lessons through Peter. But this is what Paul's doing is he's trying to encourage the Ephesian church. I want to give to you a passage that's encouraging to me. It's one of my favorites, Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. It's good stuff. Whatever you're going through, stay close to Jesus. It's all going to work out. Romans 8.28, that's my go-to verse for that type of encouragement. All right, so I want to go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He up front gives us that. To the saints, that's Christians, who are in Ephesus and are faithful to Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Very similar to other Pauline epistles, beginning with very, very happy words, happy thoughts. When Christians get to know each other very well, it's a typical common thing to greet each other with a lot of joy. And that's what you see in this greeting of Paul's. I want to move to verse 3. This is not going to be one of these uh, where we go through and we pick it apart in great details, and it's not going to be a deep theological uh, study this morning, but practical. Ephesians chapter 1, verse, verse 3, and the first part of verse 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. <clears throat> Wonderful language here. I love the way this begins. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to bless God because he's blessed us so much. With the way we live, we want to bless him because he's given us so many spiritual blessings and even practical blessings. He's planned from the beginning for us to be okay. That's his plan. Now, JC, go ahead and click to that next slide. I want you to look at this up behind me. I'm not going to read it as it's appearing I will read it in a minute, but I want you to notice something. It says Ephesians 1, 4, B. It's a very weird thing that the start of the sentence, that the, the person that decided to divide it into verses decided to back it up a little bit because it really divides the sentence, and I don't really understand that. But it could be a distraction. I just want you to pay attention to it. Now I'll read it. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, there's a lot here in a very small amount of words, but one of the things that's bound to jump off the page to many of us is that word predestined, because there is a doctrine of predestination that has come about, and we need to talk about it because here it is right here. It's going to appear twice in our text today. I want to 
Google doesn't know everything, but Google knows some things. And I thought what Google had in Wikipedia, Wikipedia knows some things, but Wikipedia does not know all things. Um, some things in Wikipedia I have written. I don't know if you know you can do that. It's a, it's a manageable thing that you and I can contribute to. If they approve it, then it goes on there. Um, so it happens to be an accurate reflection of history. So here's what we find in Wikipedia. In Christianity, the doctrine that God unilaterally predestines some persons to heaven and some to hell originated with Augustine of Hippo during the Pelagian controversy in 412 AD. Now, this is from a German work. You can see it cited here. That's where they got their information. It's accurate. Now, you think about it. Just put on your thinking caps for a minute. If this doctrine did not appear in history until 412 A.D., does that tell you anything about the biblical nature of this doctrine? The Bible was complete by 95. If this doctrine did not appear until 300 years later, this is not from the Bible. But it does talk about it says predestined in our text. The idea, if you think about it, and I can give you tons of scriptures. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 to 5, God wants all people to come to the knowledge of Jesus. There's one man between God and man, the man Jesus, uh, Christ Jesus. He's the one mediator between God and man. And he wants all men to come to a knowledge of him and be saved. God wants everyone to be saved. Why would he then create some people to be destined to hell if he wants everybody to be saved? He would be fighting against his own will. It doesn't make sense. <clears throat> so, but the idea of predestination, and, and there was an argument that was going on. There was a, there was a lot, you can read all about it, uh, and why Augustine took that position. Uh, I think Augustine was a Christian leader. I don't, you know, I, I think I'll see Augustine in heaven. Don't agree with all his doctrine, but I can't think of any one person I agree with everything on. But this particular doctrine of predestination, I think you'll find the answer in the Bible about how we deal with it. So go back to that verse, those uh, couple of verses. You see it up behind me. He predestined us in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. To so catch all of that, us, Christians, we as Christians, we are destined to be adopted. He designed us to succeed spiritually. In fact, Romans tells us that men are without excuse because you can just look at nature and see there's a creator. He set it up for us to be able to be drawn to him and to succeed spiritually. That's the purpose of his will. It doesn't mean that he forces his will. He just sets us up for our success and we can learn about the adoption as sons when we read also in Romans about being grafted into the vine. We have to understand that John chapter 14, verse 6 is true. There's only one mediator, or there's only one way to God, and it's through Jesus Christ. So it's not just a matter of God picking and choosing who's going to go to heaven and who's going to go to hell. Doesn't, that doesn't, he didn't do that. We are, we are constantly, throughout Scripture, we're given choices on how to live. In fact, Ephesians, the way Paul divides it up, is he divides the first three chapters up in kind of describing um, the faith that we're supposed to have. And then the last part of Ephesians, he talks about how we're supposed to live that out. It, it gets described in the practical, um, everyday living. This is how, what you're supposed to do. 
<clears throat> I want you to pay attention to the end of this little section here. It says, To the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Some of your translations don't say it that way. They say it very differently. Uh, surprisingly, the, even the King James doesn't do a very good job there, but the New King James does a little bit better. And here's the Greek word I want you to see for that word beloved. And to see if it sounds like another word you've heard before. I'm going to break it up into two sections as I say it. Agape meno. You hear, did you hear a word in there that sounded familiar? Agape, yeah, yeah. That's godly kind of love. That's a, that's a wonderful love, a steadfast love as described in the Bible. So what that is translated literally as beloved one. Not just beloved, beloved one. So understand, this is specifically talking about Jesus. So I'm going to read the whole thing again. It's up behind me. In love, because he loves us so much, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. He, he wants us to be successful according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved one. And you might, as well, if you want, you could just put in Jesus. That's how he's blessed us. Wonderful, colorful, even though it's formal, language that Paul has written here. In him... We have redemption through his blood. See, he is talking specifically about the beloved one is Jesus. That's why he jumps right to that. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. Same language we just got done reading which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. God's plan, he has a plan that he had all this foreknowledge and he put it all together so that we would all be loved to him, we would accept his love, live for him, and perpetuate the process of loving others, allowing Jesus to love others through us as we love others. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, there it is again, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. We keep seeing this same language. God wants his will to happen, but it is left in our hands. He set us up to make the right decisions, to have the right kind of faith and the right kind of lives so that we arrive with him for eternity in heaven. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So those early Christians, those, the people in Ephesus, the Christians that are receiving this letter from Paul, we could bring glory and honor and praise to Christ. That's what he's saying. Now why in the world would he have to write this to them? Why does he have to say these kinds of things to him? Why does he have to say, we were set up to bring praise and glory and honor to our Lord? Why is he having to say these words unless he is intending to purposely be encouraging to them? 
Is it possible that they may need encouragement? Yeah. Look at verse 13 and 14. This is our last part of the text. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Now think about that. I wanted you to take your minds to a place when I just asked about why would he say that. Why would he say this? Look at what he's doing. He's trying to assure them that because there are some people today, I'm sure you've talked to some of them. I mean, you think about it. The, the church in Ephesus, they were so good at their doctrine. Remember in Revelation when they got in trouble, the one thing that they stayed good at was their doctrine. They did not tolerate the false apostles and they didn't tolerate the false teaching of the first denomination mentioned in the Bible, the Nicolaitans. So good, their doctrine's good. But i got to tell you, my experience has been churches that are really good at focusing on doctrine, sometimes they do get just like the church in Ephesus and forsake their first love. Some of that grace wanes. Some of that, that idea of loving people to Christ goes away because they're so concerned about doctrine. Now, doctrine is great. First Timothy 4, 16, you've got to watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, for if you do, you'll save yourself and your hearers. Doctrine is an issue of salvation. But if you get too focused on just doctrine, then you end up in trouble. Now, I'm asking about this particular section. Why would he say, why would he have to say to them, you know, eternity, your eternity with Christ is secure. You know this, right? Now, I realize both Augustine and Calvin and many others have given us this idea that uh, of one saved, always saved. We've talked about this. That's not exactly what the Bible teaches, but we have people in our churches sometimes that they believe that every time they mess up, they're going to hell. Christians mess up. We all mess up. I left my thumb drive in Lacey this morning. I'm going to do a lot more messing up today. I don't plan on it, but it happens. I'm pretty good at it, by the way. It's one of my mad skills. And some of you are too. I mean, we, we all mess up. That doesn't mean you're going to hell. Yes, sin separates us from God, but Christians, the way we respond is when we know we mess up, we, we repent of it, we change it, we try to make the best of it, we right the wrongs as best we can and do better. That's, that's what makes us different. People of the world, they mess up. We mess up. When we mess up, we know it upsets God. We want to try to make it right. With anybody that it's caused harm to, we want to, we want to do better. But they, obviously, there's no reason why Paul would be inspired by God to write this for the Ephesian Christians, to read this for encouragement unless they are discouraged about their own destiny. They, there must be a struggle wondering, are we going to make it? Maybe it's just individuals in the church. Maybe it's not the church as a whole. Maybe it's just a select group of people in the church or select individuals within the church that are thinking, I'm not sure I'm going to make it. I mean, I've been messing up a lot. Wait a minute. If, 
God inspired Paul on purpose to be encouraging to the Ephesian church because they were going through, they had to be going through this struggle, this tormenting in their minds of, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it. Now, if, if, if God inspired Paul to write this because they were thinking things like that, is it possible he inspired Paul to write this for it to be in our Bible so that today, as we're going through it, as we open it up from the beginning, some of us might need to hear this. Oh, yeah. That's the thing about God's Word. It is so practical. It, it, it is, if you read it, it seriously applies to what we're going through today. Can't help but shake your head, wonder what in the world is happening in our world. It seems like we're getting further and further away from God. And even as we are trying to be faithful, some of us, it's bound to be the case, some of us are struggling with the knowledge that we're okay. You stay close to Jesus and you're okay. That passage in Hebrews, if you ever, I don't have it up behind me today, but in Hebrews chapter 6, it says that those people that fall away, it's impossible for them to be brought back to repentance. The reason why it's worded that way is so that you can know if you're concerned about the destiny of your own soul, good. You're right where you need to be. It's not possible for you to be fallen away if you're concerned about that. And so he's encouraging the Ephesians. No, no, not just the Ephesians. He's encouraging us. God is trying. I don't know if you can feel it. He's trying to reach down his figurative hand. He's trying to reach down and grab a hold of us and say, hey, you're okay. You're close to me. You're okay. Now, don't, don't presume. If, you're di if you've distanced from Christ, if you've stiff-armed him or never even accepted him as your Lord and Savior, you're not okay. That's very clear. But you can be. And you can have this assurance that you're going to be okay. Whatever you're going through in this life, on earth, you can rest assured that your salvation is sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. Okay, JC, let's try the third video. Let's see what happens. Have y'all been watching the Olympics lately? I have not. I haven't seen any. I haven't turned anything on to watch the Olympics live. Today's the last day of the Olympics. It's not going to work, right? Okay. That's three fails. I just struck out on my videos. We're not going to try. I'm, I'm, I got to move away from home plate. Uh, but I will describe it to you. There is a runner by the name, last name is Hassan, not from the U.S. Did y'all see this? Anybody see this run by Hassan? Okay, so in this run, she is uh, the one to watch. And you might want to look it up. You might want to just get on YouTube when you get a chance and look up H-A-S-S-A-N and uh, see if you can find that run. It's only, you'll only dedicate about five minutes of your life to it, and it's worth watching. Listen to the commentators as they talk. She's, at the, she's the second from the end, I believe, is, is if I remember correctly, uh, as they start. And when they start, it's a long run, when they start, she paces herself. She stays in the back. She's the one they anticipate is going to win. <clears throat> it's pretty predictable. She's kind of got a history of winning. They're 
they think she's going to win. But a series of events happen. Even though she kind of controls the pace, she's in the back. They're, this is kind of a slow pace. And it's exactly what she wants because that's the way she runs. She likes to keep it slow and then burst at the end. So she is the second from the last, and, and they're quite spread out. And then she begins to try to start her catching up. And she moves a little bit, uh, uh, gets up closer to the pack a little bit. And as she gets closer, a series of events change things. One girl hits another girl's back with her hand to catch her balance, but she's off balance. Somebody else gets off balance, tries to get out of her way. And then um, several all the way back, one actually falls right in front of Hassan, trips her, and she falls, and she hits hard. And the girl behind her falls, if I remember correctly. You'll have to watch the video. Then she gets up, and she runs, and she actually runs with a, her right arm moves a lot more animated than her left arm. It appears she's injured. Now, she's way behind. I mean, she came to a complete stop. They're still running. And now she's going to have to spend a lot of energy just to catch up. You ever feel like when you're going through life, you just can't catch up? You ever feel like it's just a struggle? Like, man, you, you think you're doing okay and you're at a good pace, but then... Uh, you ever feel like everybody else has got it together? Not you. You ever feel like it's not fair? You would have been fine if somebody else hadn't have done something to mess it up, and now, now look where I am. You ever feel like that? Well, apparently she wasn't dwelling on that because she just kept running. And she passed everyone up and won. Huh. Do you know that that's your destiny? Whatever you're going through, if you feel like you've fallen flat on your face and like you can't even, you don't feel like, your body doesn't feel like you can even join the race again. You're out. Maybe you feel like that spiritually. Maybe you feel like physically you, something in life is like, I just can't. It's not fair. Bad things have happened. I don't know that I'll ever catch up with anybody else. I don't know if I can catch up in life. It's just, it's, uh, obviously, the Ephesian church is going through a time where they need some encouragement, and Paul is inspired to give them some words of encouragement. Think about this. It, it, some of you are already thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go watch that video, because that sounds cool. And if you watch a video, you, you, you imagined it. That's encouraging to think somebody could do that and then actually win. And, and yet, think about this. Paul is incarcerated. They all know it. Paul's been arrested unfairly. He's being, he's chained up. It's a house arrest thing, so it's not that heavy of a prison sentence, but he's, he's incarcerated. The apostle Paul, who needs to be out there preaching and sharing Jesus like he did here in our town of Ephesus, he's locked up. We got a letter from him. And you might expect it to be whining about things. You know, as you heard, I've been locked up. and Poor me. One of these days I should get out. This isn't fair. No, he didn't do that. What he did was he just starts from, launches from the beginning, grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he goes into, hey, 
you're okay. You're going to be fine. You feel that? He's encouraging us on in this crazy world. You're going to be okay. So what? At the end of all of this, the videos you didn't get to see, but you had to imagine, the text that we've gone through in Ephesians, um, I was taught it wasn't until I went to seminary and then I went back to seminary a few years later where a professor said, anytime you teach a lesson or preach a sermon, always answer the question, so what? Okay. Here's five things. First of all, prioritize Christ's love to others through us, through me. That's what I'm supposed to do. My priority is supposed to be Christ's love that I need to share with others. We need to as a church, but I need to as a person. That needs to be my focus. Other people need to know Jesus loves them because of my interactions with them. Second, never let my circumstances dictate my attitude. Paul sure, surely so, shows us a good example. Here he is. He wrote a letter while he's incarcerated that encouraged the Ephesians, and it's encouraging us. We don't have to let our circumstances dictate our attitude. Three, we as a church, I as an individual, must be different than the world, set apart. That's why Paul mentioned we are to be holy. It's God's design. It's the purpose of his will. We are not supposed to be like everybody else. Four, we, I, should have blessed assurance. You know the song, Blessed Assurance? Christians, we are not supposed to live our lives uncertain of our destiny. You stay close to Jesus, you're okay. Five, no matter what, we, as a church, I as an individual, can and ought to selflessly and purposely encourage others to forge ahead to bring glory to God. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's what Paul could have done, could on all different kinds of angles on this. Instead, he chooses to encourage us while he could be discouraged. No, he's not going to get discouraged. He's going to speak courage to us. That's what encourage means, is, is to speak courage into others. That's what we're supposed to be doing. No matter what we're going through, we speak courage into others. Do you think Paul needed to be encouraged? Of course. But he's not thinking about that. He's thinking about encouraging others. That's what we're supposed to be about. That's the so what. There is hope. The hard time letters give us hope. Practical life skills from Paul's prison epistles. My goodness, we're just getting started. Let's pray. God help us. Sometimes we forget that we're supposed to focus on what pleases you. We sometimes forget that our circumstances don't have to determine how we act and how we think. Forgive us when we get so focused on our own problems we forget about other people that need us to speak courage into them. God, thank you so much. 
for reminding us. Thank you so much for having Paul write these letters that even from the beginning speaking to what our needs are. Help us as we try to please you with what we do with this. And as we try to go out and let you love others through us, God, may, may you be pleased, may you bless our efforts, and may you be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen.